All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know the drill. Election performance. Use our discount code OpenGarCast25 for 25% off the ability to get thick, mean, lean, and swole. Speaking of which, today, Danny O'Donnell and Jake Watson are joined by the the co-host of the Verbal Tapcast. I say co-host because I love Kevin dearly. And uh, the man who runs Early Late Night and The Grappling Hour and who I would consider to be... Like the Jake Watson podcast mentor, Raph Esparza. Thank you so much for joining us. It's actually been a really like uh, when we first started out Open Guardcast, it was one of my goals to get you on one day and be confident enough to interview someone who interviewed me and made me also question my manhood at the same time. So, Raph, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and thank you for joining us, man. No problem. I actually have a list of the people that you brought on before me. It includes <laughs> Adam Bradley, Andre Galvo. <laughs> Kevin Bradley, because I guess you got the Bradleys wholesale, John <laughs> Evans, and Jordan Peitzman twice. And yet somewhere in that vicinity, you didn't bring me on. You waited till you got to your deep 60s on your episode list before you even brought me on. So I guess you're welcome for showing up. Well, if it makes you feel better, uh, every time, okay, so at least every three episodes, Danny would be like, come on, let's get Raph, man. I want to get Raph. I want to get Raph. And I would just be like, dude, listen, I can't. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. <laughs> and then Danny would be like, you are. You have to believe in yourself. And then I would listen to another episode of the Verbal Tapcast, and I would listen to another fight companion that I wasn't invited to. And then I would just <laughs> I would just feel this. I guess we both were at a crossroads, Raph. We're both, you know, we're laying in the same bed facing away from each what other, just not Jordan wanting to Heitzman have to offer twice. Okay, it wasn't necessarily just him. He was attached to Andrew Wiltsey. So the second I have, dude, Andrew Wiltsey's like that flavor of ice cream that only comes around every winter. And for some reason, it was around in July. Like you got to take it. You know what I mean? So I and and we love Jordan, right? But listen, what about here's, Josh here's McKinney? The, Josh McKinney was on twice as well. Listen, fair, dude, I've gone fair, through Danny, your list. To be fair. To be fair, I'll explain that one too. Josh McKinney says jujitsu weird, all right? And uh, <laughs> on top of that, Danny interviewed him solo while I was – I don't remember what happened, but I couldn't do the episode that day. So Danny interviewed him, right? And uh, we had to get on the show because we got on his Isaka Jiu-Jitsu show, which we love, by the way. If you're listening to this, Josh McKinney, just understand that, yeah, we enjoyed having you on. But work on how you say jujitsu, Otherwise, I'm going to freak out next time you say it. Um and yeah, so really we did one episode, me and Danny together. So that's one. Uh, go, go what 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 else are you upset about, Raph? Let's air it out. Let's get it. I have plenty. Listen, the Festivus was just a few days ago. I can air my grievances quite easily, but I just thought I would lead off with that because every time they start up a show, they always go, "It's a pleasure to have you. We've always wanted to have you on." It's like, well, I've got a list, okay. So I know who went on before me. I've seen the fast pass list. I saw who got on the ride before me. I was waiting back there the whole time. And you know what? I like the fact that you started on day one telling me you wanted me to come on. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll just wait around. And then it was kind of like, Raph, would you generally be available within this month? Sure, kid. You know what I do when I'm not on air? Sure, kid. I'm around. So it's pretty easy to find me. But sure, I'm sure that, yes, Kevin Bradley had really important stuff to talk about from oh, the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. You have no idea. You have to listen to that episode. He had extremely important things to talk about. 
Well, oh, that from was... the looks of it, it looks like you guys are in the middle of Song Wars, which again you didn't include. Me. <laughs> but cool, yeah, no, I'm sure that translates to good. I'm radio. posting another one. I'm posting another one right after this episode, and you're gonna be. I'm tagging you. Give me the song. What's the song? What's the song you need? I don't need any song. I'll make it very clear, but I'll give you one off air and I'll see if you're able to hit that register. I'll have to really think about the type of uh, songs that you sing because you're you're an acoustic guy. So yeah. I, I'm going to see what I can pull. Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> of course. Anyway, no, actually, it is a pleasure to be here. You guys are very both sweet, nice kids. I'm happy to be here. Who do you think Danny is? Danny, how old are you, kid? I'm 31. Yeah, still a child to me. So <laughs> you have to understand, because I'm one of the elder statesmen now as like a media guy where people go, I grew up watching your interviews. I go, first of all, that makes me old. Second <laughs> of all, I can confidently say on most other shows I go on, hey, what's up, kid? You can't be more than a year or two older than me. Oh, bless your soul. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to keep you around. <laughs> I can tell you, yes, bless I am. Soul. And uh, I don't want to disclose exactly how far away from the markers I am. But I'll tell you this one. I'm a master's division up. So we'll go on. Oh, well, all right. Well, then let's get into let's get into the actual interview section of this show. Now that you're done thoroughly roasting me and Danny, um, <laughs> by the way, we love you. Just wanted to let reiterate that point, Raph. Uh, but Danny, like I say all the time, Danny is a very, we've developed a bit of a dynamic on the show where I am the loud blubbering Brendan Shaw best guy and Danny <laughs> is more of the, uh, you know, Ariel Hawani, except for everybody really likes him guy. And, uh, <clears throat> but I want to ask at what point did you, cause we want to get into the questions about, you know, the work that you have been doing, uh, outside of jujitsu as well, which I'm super excited for you. But uh, how did you get into podcasting, first of all? Um, and then also, I want to find out how you got into jiu-jitsu. But first of all, podcasting, since that's something that I really look up to you for. Absolutely. Before I do that, have you always worn glasses? Uh, no, these are to protect my eyes from the uh, rays of my computer screen since I'm on my computer <laughs> a lot lately. Because <laughs> I couldn't tell if you just wanted to be part of the cool kids who were all wearing glasses know, on just, this show. Right, just put them on. <laughs> and, you know, Jake, again, because you're so nice and you really do go out of your way to try and make me feel welcome half the time I'm on the show, is that when you are here, I don't know if people can tell this audibly, but just looking at you with the glasses on, it looked like you were trying to go into the smart version of Jake. That's like, yes, Raph. Hmm. Let me ask you some deep cut questions here. I've uh, changed as a podcaster. I've, I've matured. I consider um, myself reformed now. <laughs> how do I get into podcasting? Well, here's the way it, it happened. I was doing a little bit of stand up, and I like stand up. I like I like performing for people, and I like interviewing people in that kind of format and i had created a little bit of a variety show that i was doing at a local comedy club here but one thing that's a little limiting about stand-up is that i can't do as many characters i can't do as many sketches so i like the form of podcasting and i was really really starting to get close to saying hey listen the life of a stand-up is always going to people but a podcaster has people come to them on a regular basis and that's a way cooler gig in my opinion and uh, Kevin happened to be in that same vein of, hey, I'm doing comedy, but I kind of want to do a podcast. And I think he might have been the person to say it out loud. But we were always talking fights back and forth on our messengers. 
And he just said, you know what, let's just see what happens. And I always thought that it was impossible to have decent sound because he was in Washington, D.C. at the time and I'm in Los Angeles. And I was really nervous that it wouldn't sound good. Good news. You can get away with three years and it not sounding good at all. And people don't care. So we were very fortunate that there were some advancements in the technology that made it sound like we were in the same room. Now certain people say we sound exactly alike. So, you know, at the same point, to me, I just go, I don't care how people ingest it. I just want them to enjoy it. And I want to say maybe about eight months before that, I had started officially coming back to jiu-jitsu. I started back in 2000. Nine, but when I was in college, I really, really wanted to start. But when I was doing my undergrad, there was no close uh, proximity to a gym. And then as soon as I moved, they opened up a gym at my college. Mm -hmm. Then when I went to Kentucky for my grad school, same thing. I was looking for a gym and it was the closest one was 25 miles away. And then as soon as I left, they opened up a gym there. And that's now where the nice guys are. And they have all these people out in those areas where I go, cool, would have been fun. Mm. I didn't want to be good at jujitsu. Now I could have been a black belt. That's fine. I'm okay. I promise. So, yeah, that's kind of the origin stories of it all. So, 2009, you were in college. 2009, I had just finished. Um, I was coming back. <laughs> to LA it was right after the financial crash so I was just starting as a teacher on the side I worked two or three marketing jobs because that's how bad the economy was and then I stumbled upon the page program for NBC a friend of mine who now is Conan O'Brien's personal assistant who is super famous is uh, the person who recommended me for the show. And uh, I just said, okay, I'm going to try and be a page. And once I got into being a page, I just said, I'm going to throw myself into this and see what happens. And after I was there for about two or three months, I started going to 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, but I didn't smoke weed. So I said, I don't know how long this is going to last. <laughs> I don't know that Eddie's going to give me a, a black belt if I don't smoke weed. So... Um, I took a couple of years off. I had to uh, take care of some family stuff. And then in 2012, I said, you know what? I'm going to really do it now. I'm going to commit. I'm going to go to the gi as well because I like the thought of gi. And I said, you know, I really love the chess element of that. So I came back and I went full force. Oh, that's awesome. I, I felt like uh, the stand-up comedy link is kind of – it's pretty common with, with people who – you know, our stand-up comedians, they, a lot of them have podcasts. Was that like influential to you how – like a lot of the people in the stand-up community, they have their own podcast, and there was that scene was kind of growing, kind of during the time that you graduated college. Yeah, it was a little terrifying though, because most people, when you assume that they're a comedian, and they have a podcast, it's not going to be very good. So that's <laughs> what I was afraid of. Is like, yeah. oh, I want to be one of the good ones, and I had always envisioned uh, being a host of some sort. And then I saw there was a lack of a presence of a host in our sport and I liked interviewing people and I thought it would be fun to see if my skills were transferable. So I recognized that while other people were doing comedy podcasts or had a gimmick, my thing was always, you know, I think there's kind of a benefit to me trying to interview some of these guys because if they are being interviewed, they're very mundane questions and they almost seem boring. And 
one thing that I will give you is a very different style of interview than I think most other people will try. So I said, okay, let me see if I can do that. And then I found people were very receptive to me roasting them on air, <laughs> which was not something I thought would happen initially. But, you know, I got I got pretty lucky that most of the guys have a pretty good sense of humor. Well, it's very interesting. I definitely, when I first came on your show and you did Over Under Kevin, I was mm. like, what the hell is Over Under Kevin, right? And that's a really fun game that you play on, on the show. And I, I remember like you and I, we already got to know each other a little bit because I, I came on the grappling hour first before I came on Verbal Tapcast. And after that first interview, we stayed in touch and it was John Evans, actually, who was also came on the show, which you were uh, to your disdain, came on the show. And uh, and he was the one who kind of set up that meeting and, and brokered it. And uh, <laughs> I remember uh, meeting Kevin for the first time. Uh, I actually want to hear how you guys met, too. Because when I first met Kevin and he roasted me without me ever meeting him, I was like, okay, this is a guy I can respect. Like, I, I understand this guy knows the dynamic of the interview he's going for. I never met him. It's like Star-Lord and all those guys. They roasted me too and they never met me. I was like, all right, well, obviously, you know, this is a pretty cool vibe here. I don't have to worry about, you know, trying to make myself – they're going to roast me regardless if they think I'm cool or not. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, how did you meet Kevin? So Kevin came into the picture like this. Um the way that people compete in jiu-jitsu every weekend at big tournaments and all that, you know, pre-COVID and all that sort of stuff, I was doing that for speech. So I was competing weekend and week out. And I come from a sports background. So the fact that I was taking a sports mentality at the very beginning of my speech and debate career meant that I would go and I'd see all these really, really nice guys and gals who would be competing on a weekly basis. And I go, OK, nerds, but how are we going to win? <laughs> What what's the, the the trick pass or what's the play that we do here? And they go just work really hard. And I go that doesn't seem fun. So I was uh, always competing and I learned how to hone a craft of being a performer doing that. And toward the tail end of it, when you're done with it, you don't have to pretend to want to be there anymore. You know, you you can pretty much be on your way out. And I was coaching for a little bit and I said this is my last year doing speech. I'm gonna go back to L.A. And I just said, okay, I'm going to have fun and I'm just going to talk to who I want to talk to and do what I want. And one of the very last tournaments I was at, Kevin was on his computer watching NCAA. And I saw that he was looking at it and I said, hey, man, could you tell me the score? Because I've got a NCAA March Madness bracket that I just want to see how I'm doing. And he, without pause, just tells me the score and goes, oh, I'm very good at picking March Madness. And I go, who introduces themselves like that? That sounds like the dumbest way to do it. And my wife has very nicely put it in my life that I'm only highly competitive with like 10 people. And when someone says something like that, they immediately shoot to that top 10 list. Because all I could think of from that point on was, well, you're wrong. Well, you're stupid. No, I'm going to prove you wrong. And you mentioned over under Kevin, but when we were doing the show, I noticed that we were falling into that trap of, well, here's a preview show for next week, and I think this guy punches really good, and well, this guy kicks really good. What will happen? And I said, I don't want to be like those shows. I want to do something that's almost just an excuse to bring hosts or guests or friends of the show that we like to talk to them. But if it's going to be a topical show we need to almost make it be fun. And that's when I said, let's experiment with that. Let's play on the idea that Kevin thinks that he knows everything. 
and let's see if I could get the person who follows the sport the least and see if they can beat Kevin. So I just experimented. People who were way smart in our community, I'd bring them on. People who were like, I don't even pay attention to the UFC anymore. And I go, not a problem. Come on. <laughs> and and the big appeal was always, you don't have to know every fighter. But if you talk trash to Kevin, I, as a host, will bring you back on multiple times because to me, I think that's the hook. I think that that's a far more interesting thing when you have people who you can hear them joking to one another. But if you listen to the subtext, you know that they actually respect one another. So that's the the kind of vibe of comedy that I like, which is I don't make jokes about people I don't really know. And if I do, it's usually in a pretty ironic or, or self-aware sense of it. Um, but I've had guests in the past try and send me a note that was like, yo, you made fun of me. And I was like, prove it. <laughs> like, show me where I made fun of you. And then if it's really that insulting, like, please explain the harm of what the joke did to you and the therapy bills that are involved. <laughs> and a lot of the times, most people are very relaxed and they they diffuse the situation. It's very rare that we have a situation where people really, really dislike us. And we've been lucky again in that sense. But yeah, it was always how do we make our show a little bit different than everybody else's? And that's been our, our little outside track. So I've always considered us to be the late night television version of MMA and jiu-jitsu. Yeah, like it's interesting because like it really does feel like that when you're listening to the show, especially when you're like watching on YouTube. It has that type of feel to it. And I feel like you guys have like a very particular niche that not a lot of other jiu-jitsu podcasts have. And I think that comes from your speech and debate background, your stand-up comedy, and blending that with the jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and I mean, we just don't take ourselves very seriously. Like, I take <laughs> the approach very seriously of doing the research, respecting the athletes, trying to train with them if I can, so I know a little bit more to talk about on their narratives. But um, once we get on air, it should be fun. Like, what's the point of all of this if you aren't learning something or having fun or getting other people to maybe laugh and 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 enjoy themselves. I got a really nice note yesterday that was just the end of the year. Hey, Merry Christmas sort of a thing. I just want to thank you for helping us get through the pandemic and making us laugh. And it was such a nice note that I don't think about that when I'm doing the show. I just think about, okay, well, how do we make somebody laugh different this week than we did last week? Or what's a different approach to this that we haven't taken? Because you know, you'd like to think that we'd run out of angles to say jokes about Dana White. But then <laughs> at the end of the year, he makes a video where he self-congratulates himself uh, for the year that they've had. While well, at the same time talking about how dumb the other journalists were. And in doing so, just takes the context completely out of control. And you go, man, if I only watch that, I might have a great thing of Dana White really saved us. But... Then you remember, oh, right, he didn't make a video about how he stood up to Disney. Hmm. All right. He won't definitely take that. Yeah. So he's not that ballsy. Uh, I remember when I, in the first like couple episodes, maybe four episodes we did of Open Guard Cast, I was messaging you because I was nervous when we first started. Uh, Danny and I kind of had a similar story where we we're just like, let's just do it and see what happens. And uh, I remember calling you. Uh, I messaged you and you you called me. We had a phone conversation. I was at my buddy's house playing League of Legends, but I, you know, 
I sat in Fountain and I uh, and I got, got a call and I uh, I remember you just being like, hey, like, you know, what's going to help is if you guys just let yourselves find your groove. He's like me and me and Kevin are not the same people. We can't force ourselves to be anything on the show. We're just ourselves. And once you guys know each other, the show will flow. But if you force it, it's not going to flow. And I was like. I don't understand what you mean, but okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I kind of got it, but I'm, you know, I'm nervous and I'm just listening to Raph because Raph is like 800 episodes deep and I'm like at the time five. So it's, <laughs> uh, and now we're, this is episode 67 and I still don't feel like, you know, I still feel like there's some moments where like, ah, uh, that was kind of awkward, but that's not something that can always be controlled. You know what I mean? I'm sure you still have moments like that where you're like, all right, improvise, let's go. We're going to keep on going forward. But it definitely, uh, I remember uh, going back there and, and now knowing that conversation and understanding more, it's like I learned the lesson later, you know? So just seeing you and Kevin, how long you guys, like Danny and I have become close, closer friends through this process. And funny enough, I didn't know much about Danny when we started the show, but uh, <laughs> I remember like thinking about ten episodes, and I was like, I don't really know anything about Danny. I was like, what if this, what, like, what if this doesn't work out? Like, we just hate each other because we realize a bunch of stuff about each other. Funny enough, Danny and I have a lot in common. <laughs> we, he's just as big as a goof of a goofball as me. He just, you know, we gotta keep the we gotta keep the image up. We, we gotta let keep people thinking that Danny's not crazy and that I'm crazy. You know. <laughs> I think part of it is, you know, most people would assume Kevin and I have known each other forever, but if you're really doing the logic on the timeline, it's I saw him on my way out of speech. We just kind of crisscrossed. We might have been competing in the same era, but we really didn't interact that much then. So cut to us messaging each other, and then once we're doing it live, like, that's what made him a guy who ended up in my wedding. You know, that's what made him a guy who I consider one of my best friends is you develop a stronger bond. And part of the reason why I knew I could trust him is, is because when you do speech, you have a certain work ethic that's expected of you. And I knew he's the guy that edits our show. He's the guy who puts it up every week. And I think it's a testament to him that we have 440 episodes that have, you know, I think there's one or two times where he goes, hey, man, I'm going to post it tomorrow. And I go, that's fine. Like, There's never been a moment where I go, well, podcast over. I think we both <laughs> have a reasonable expectation of, oh, no, you've got other things you're working on. I have other things I'm working on. This is our gig that we carve out a certain time. We work hard during those one hour, two hour sessions that we record. And then we kind of live a different life, but still always message each other when something funny or good happens to each other. And I think that's why the show works in my opinion is because we're legitimately friends. And I think if we ever stopped doing the show, we would still be friends. I think that we have made the agreement to do it for as long as it is fun to the both of us. And to the best of my knowledge, it sounds like there's not really an end in sight. So hopefully we get to do it forever and ever. And then we can do it on like say Sirius XM and we can be the DeSeuss and Marrow of the sport or some variation of that. I don't really know. I haven't worked that part out in my brain yet. Yeah, I feel like that's very very similar for me and Jake. Like I think we put our friendship before the fact that we're podcast co-hosts and you know, we give each other, you know, degree of flexibility with scheduling and stuff like that cuz Jake's always traveling to compete too and has all these high-level matches and that's a I think that's a big 
part of our podcast too is kind of letting people keep up to date with what's going on in Jake's comp- competitive career since he's a young up and comer, just got his black belt, has a really cool story. So, yeah, that really, um, really resonates with me. My story sucks. <laughs> well, you know, there's a very famous quote that I think it was Phil Rosenthal, who's the a uh, very popular writer from Everybody Loves Raymond. He also has a show on Netflix where people feed him in different cultures. But he would tell his uh, people on his his writing staff, he'd go, okay, go home, everybody. And normally TV, you stay there forever until the show's done. But he goes, you guys have to go live a life with your families or you don't have material to bring back to this show. So I feel like that's kind of the thing. And what makes me excited is when Kevin doesn't even tell me what we're going to do. He just says, I've got something I want to do on air and I like not knowing it. And there are certain things I'll tell him. I'll give him like a couple bullet points and I'll say like, Hey, I'm going to say these two things, but I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to say it or why I'm going to say it. And he goes, okay. That's really fun. I do that with the, uh, you know, that election performance interview I do at the start of the show when I did the, are you ready? Like I'll just, I'll never tell Danny what I'm doing with that. And like, that's me kind of like, kickstarting future ideas you know what i mean because i like that era, era too i'll never bring anything on the show that like would make danny be like dude why would you do that because that <laughs> would just be you know unless i'm offensive on air which i don't plan on being but i don't uh, think you will be but jake i, I have to ask <laughs> if that was that was you up top i wasn't sure that was me you, th- that was you that was reading the ad up at top yeah that was oh me. okay I, I wasn't sure if you rented a, a Walmart version of Will Arnett uh, to borrow, <laughs> but incredibly done. That's no, that's I appreciate that. Uh, you know, we're we're all for uh, you know roasting impressions. And, you have and to know like that. that every time I interrupt you and it sounds sincere, it's never going to be <laughs> like no. that is the rule. So anytime I you totally you have to set up a I'm going to be honest with you. I totally thought you were going to come. I knew you were getting roasted. And I forgot I forgot how big of an ass you are. So I, <laughs> I actually, I actually uh, now I know. And uh, it's uh, definitely war. So that's cool. Hey, so, okay. Uh, this is actually a question. This is not a question for you, Rav. This is a question for George St. Pierre. Um, okay. <laughs> how is, uh, is everything going uh, with your current ventures you said you're working for, is it, uh, like, who are you working for uh, outside of jiu-jitsu right now? Uh, uh, hello, first of all, this is me, George Sampere. Um, <laughs> this is a very hard uh, question for me right now because I have been doing gymnastic in the pool. Uh, <laughs> I got a moose that I was looking at, and a moose <laughs> fell into pool, and I did a somersault black flip. Ooh, I said black. Oh, no. GSP has uh, gotten a little racist. <laughs> a little racist. <laughs> is he French? He would say racist? Uh, there is uh, no uh, no rolling the R. That is uh, down south. We are up north. Very different uh, approach to accent. That's pretty good. I am. Uh, okay. I'm sure. It's <laughs> good. I mean, I, I wasn't told which ones I was going to have to do. Normally, it's like, do you have an impression? And I go, sure. And then I, I wheel one out. And the one that I had in my pocket today was Nate Diaz. So I was like, if he oh, has me, I'll do that. Oh, my gosh. Did I ever tell you about – okay, so there's a man at my gym named Josh Chambers. When I got done with that verbal tap cast episode where Nate Diaz called in, 
he came up to me. He's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you got to talk to Nate Diaz yesterday. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I legit didn't know what he was talking about because I thought it was implied that it was an impression. But he's like, I can't believe Nate Diaz just called into the show that you were on. And I'm like, there's no way, right? He had all those questions for you. It was crazy. He's, well, have you heard Have you heard Raph's Nate Diaz, Danny? No, I've not. It's really, 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 really good. Like, it honestly sounds like Nate. But, like, it's just the, the context in in which Raph set up the impression to be done. Like, if you're not paying attention, you'll think Nate Diaz called into the show. But it's a podcast. You know what I mean? Okay. There was no... There was none of that. It was literally just... <laughs> it was just, like, Raph... It's like he was like, I'm Nate Diaz now. You know what I mean? I want to be very clear. When we try to set it up, we try to do it with as much fun... A fantasy element, if you would, uh, something silly. And uh, I would say, though, we have gotten many a notes with the impressions over the years um, that have said, hey, I can't believe you booked that person. And to me, I, you know, I kind of take it as a compliment, but then it always makes me think, did we not set that up well enough? Like, I thought <laughs> that we had tipped our cap enough. Um, but we, we ride that fine line between, I don't really like to dumb things down. I feel like the impression is supposed to be the dumb down, but I also believe that our audience should want to have that suspension of disbelief. And we also know that some people don't always love the impressions. We got a note on one of our YouTube, uh, variations of the show where somebody on one of the episodes put, uh, Hey man, love the show, but can you stop with the celebrity impressions? And I just responded underneath, hey, man, love the comment. Uh, could you stop telling us how to do the podcast and create a better <laughs> comment and and work on that sort of a thing? And to me, I just always think, like, listen, dude, you have all the options in the world to listen to any show you want. This is what has gotten us to the dance. And before we even had guests, I didn't think we were going to have guests. That didn't even cross my mind when we started. It wasn't until our 17th episode we got a guest and they only came on because we were roasting them on the Twitter, and oops, when you at tag somebody, sometimes they listen. And to our benefit, he thought we were funny. And he said, man, I, I get what you're doing. You're not assholes. A lot of people on here just tell you, you know, I hate you, I hate your family, go F off, all that sort of okay. stuff. He goes, but you guys, there's a method to the joke. There's something that's silly. And even if you tell me I suck, there's still a funniness to it. And, and that's the line I like to try and ride. So, yeah. But, hey, man, listen, I'm also not going to stop doing it because, to me, I just think it's an extra form of doing comedy. Between, like, that, Yoel Romero, um, Diaz Brothers, both of them, like, Dana White, they've all become little centralized characters that allow us to approach the comedy different than anybody else because we predate a lot of things so like even i think tommy told might have been right around the same time we were mm -hmm. on the come up and i heard him doing a gsp and i go mine's better but <laughs> okay mine's better so you did, uh, sorry I, no. I didn't mean to I'm interrupt. I just Sorry, I would just remember whenever I think of rap, I think of him saying Catherine Zeta Jones is Sean Connery. That's like the only thing I think about him saying. He says Catherine wow. Zeta Jones as Sean Connery, and it just I I literally will when I see Sean Connery's face, rest in peace by the way. When I see his face, I just think of Raph saying Catherine Zeta Jones, and it makes me laugh because it's just like so, it's just such a ridiculous impression. I guess this is kind of funny, but 
at the Oscars, they have this policy of bringing on a big celebrity. Usually it's the person who won the year before, but if they can't get that person in their book, they bring on a big name to give the Oscar away. So Catherine Zeta-Jones was up for Chicago one year, and there's Sean Connery. And you think, oh, they did Entrapment. They're friends. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe she's going to get it. And so Sean Connery like gets the envelope, and he goes, and the winner is Catherine. And that sounds great. Except for the fact that Kathy Bates, I think, was also in the category that year. <laughs> so it 100% could have been Kathy Bates if you extend oh, the name true. fully. So we laughed so hard because Kathy Bates is sitting there like, is that, is that me? No. no. <laughs> That's well, not me, right? Not but yes, Catherine Zeta-Jones and him. Uh, I mean, it was a very formalized time for me because I grew up with um, James Bond with my dad. My dad's a huge James Bond fan. So I never thought I had a Sean Connery impression until I turned maybe 10 and I was just sticking around with it. And then, you know, I would do it and I would look at my dad and my dad's pretty funny in his own way. So I would do this like, but of course you're the last one and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And my dad would do this. Yeah, that's all right. And I go, (laughs) it's really good. Okay, I know. I know. That's really funny. So yeah, I was I was just gonna ask, um, were you guys when you were starting to like create the podcast, Verbal Tapcast and uh, Grappling Hour, were you listening to a lot of other podcasts too? Are you guys podcast fans? Are there other sources of like inspiration that you kind of drew from? Yeah, kind of. Uh, I th- actually think it's 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 a less <clears throat> uh, nice version I think of the story, but I always tell people if you don't hear the show you want, you have to make it. So we would listen to other shows and I'd say, this isn't the show I want to hear. And the real answer is to make that one. There are other influences. Like, honestly, I I felt like a huge influence to me was um, putting on the grappling hour was the format that Ariel Hawani was doing for MMA stars. Because it's my hope that I could be the topical show that brings everybody on after they win. Now, the problem is Ariel Hawani brings on you know, uh, let's say Darren Till. You already know Darren Till's story. When I bring somebody on who just won a major tournament, chances are you still don't know their story. And let's say you do know them, you don't know them in the way that they would talk to me or, or the conversation that we would have. So instead of saying like 20 minutes, hey, you won that, how'd it go? Oh, that's so great, I heard this story. In the post presser, you said this. All right, good to see you, bye. It becomes, okay, here's what I know about you. Here's what maybe other people have heard you say on other shows. So I'm not going to let you say those things in the same way. We're going to get a different interview than I hear on somebody else's show. Because if I hear the same one, I'm going to turn this one off. And our sport is so new to the point where we don't have publicists, which is a good thing. But we don't have people who say, Hey, on Open Guard Podcast, this is the narrative. On Inside BJJ, this is the narrative. On Grappling Central, this is the narrative. We have to do all of that. And half the time, they book themselves the same week. And I go, you're going to cannibalize all of us because we're such a niche sport still that if you appear on both of our shows this week, it's almost like you have to pick which one you're going to publicize. And that's going to drain all of us. 
So it's part of the reason why I've tried to be friendly with all of us is to say, like, hey, listen, if this guy's on your show this week and you see he's going to be on ours, let's cut the difference. You put it one week. We'll put it the next week. And let's create something there. Um, But what I do end up doing is I actually try to listen to everybody's show at some point. So I try to get a listen of a few episodes um, and I'll message people if I I have a sincere note because uh, I don't mind having a rivalry with them on air. But I always Kevin can attest to this. There have been a number of shows, both jujitsu and outside of jujitsu made by people that we know where I message him and I go, it's been 20 minutes and they haven't gotten to the guest. Mm. And I'll send him a note and I go. They asked him this question. They didn't know this dude has been on 14 other shows or he said this there or this there. And I think a lot of that comes from my late night experience. A long time ago, Letterman and Leno used to have provisions that said you would have to not do the other show for a month. And now, good luck trying to enforce that, because even this week, you know, I'm seeing all the cast of Soul have to promote their movie like Jamie Foxx is on Good Morning America and Kimmel and all these different shows. And because it's a Zoom nature, he doesn't even have to travel. So I think we're going to see that window become even more obsolete with the amount of shows that people do, the amount of podcasts there are. And I think the thing that keeps you competitive and, and interesting for a long period of time is consistently listening to what other people are doing and saying, OK, it's time we slide this way or we do something else. So, yeah, I mean. <clears throat> the ones I listen to for fun are going to be like Conan O'Brien and uh, like uh, Harisha Kishirway, who does um, Song Exploder. He's amazing. He did the West Wing Weekly podcast. Like I try to get outside people who are outside of our sport to give me influence or to give me uh, inspiration because those are the things that really speak to me. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you like what your tips were for creating kind of a unique interview with all your guests, and I do I do also try to listen to as many jujitsu podcasts as I can. But like you said, I feel like a lot of them ask the same questions, and you kind of get the same interview from the same guest across multiple podcasts. But yeah, just listening to other stuff, I feel like typically gives me better ideas than just listening to all the jujitsu podcasts. Not that they're not good, but a lot of times, like like you said, it's the same guests going on four different podcasts the same week so you kind of get the same stories and the same questions and so do you have any other tips for like creating unique conversations and getting information out of people that they don't typically share they're not like coming to the podcast to share i was just talking about this with somebody yesterday one of my friends started a podcast and uh he knows how i am and uh he was like, dude, I'm just so nervous. You know, I get a lot of anxiety doing it. And I go, everybody does. It's just how you channel it. And he's a competitor. And I just told him, I was like, well, take how you compete. You have to learn how to channel your nerves like you would be competing and channel that when you're doing one of these podcasts. Because it's not like you're going to stop competing. You love competing. So you have to find that love for doing this. Um, but I tell people the real trick is once you know the hook – once you know what makes you different. So when we said we're the late night talk show of MMA and jiu-jitsu, I said that's going to be the driving force. So the way it's always going to be fun and different for us is I'll listen to them and tell the same story. But I also 
try to develop a sense of at the very beginning before we start. I say, hey, listen, we're the fun show. Please feel free to joke back at us. Please feel free to be open because I want it to be a different experience. And when I hear the guests insulting us and they're funny, I think they're not funny on all these other shows. They might tell a story that has one or two jokes in there, but it's also in a way and my my deepest, sincerest hope is kind of teaching them how to approach comedy from a different form. Most of the guys who do, you know, this kind of activity for for jujitsu and MMA, they just know the approach of insult your guard sucks, this sucks, as opposed to both of you being in on the joke mm-hmm. and, and both of you creating a, a dynamic. And sometimes, like, as as Jake was alluding to with Kevin, actually what becomes funnier is Jake's shockedness to, like, I can't believe you just said that. And then us going, like, let's work with that. Let's play with that because that interaction is going to be funny. Like, that clash, you can't manufacture so I always think that once you know the driving mechanism of what your hook is for the show, then you create form for that. And the second best thing is, honestly, you know, I prepare only so much for a guest before I cut myself off. And then I just listen to them. And that listening is 90% of the show because they're going to kind of direct you where they want to go and what they want to say. And in the same way that it's, hey, I don't love it when they say the same story. That's their story. So they're not really somebody you should hold accountable for just telling their narrative or what they're trying to push. It's your job as the host to pull that out of them. So once you know those things, then I think you have your driving mechanism. So that same friend that I told you I started a show, when he told me, he's like, yeah, he was like, oh man, I was really glad that we got to talk because I had these questions for you. And I ended by telling him this, I go, here's where you should feel good. When I saw the hook for your show, I didn't call you. And he's like, yeah, I go, yeah. If you had a bad hook, you would have heard from me. And he goes, oh, okay. And I told him, I was like, yeah, dude, I go, I look out for my friends and, you know, much in the same way how I messaged uh, Jake, you know, I, I just try to do it from a standpoint of why take a hundred episodes to figure out what I can tell you in two minutes. Yeah, for sure. And it helped me a lot. I mean, shoot, I definitely really, uh, <clears throat> I really enjoy the process too. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely awkward. It's, it's like, it's, it's a long, it's like growing up, you know, uh, talking to people differently. Cause interviewing people is a way different dynamic than getting interviewed. Like I've been interviewed even when I was like 13, 14, uh, I was even a part of video production program getting interviewed for different reasons. And it's like, I've been getting interviewed in different, you know, mediums for a while, but like now interviewing people, it's like, it's like kind of a nice release, you know? And then when I do get interviewed now, it's almost like weird again. It's like, Oh, well now I gotta get asked questions, you know? (laughs) So I kind of enjoy, I enjoy that aspect of it. And when I went and I'm telling you, when I go back on verbal tap guess, I'm going to beat Kevin in over under Kevin and I'm going to beat him again. I mean, that assumes that I'm going to be like Josh McKinney and be invited (laughs) back for multiple. Did you really write a list? Yeah, dude. What do you think I do? Do you think I know him off the top of my head? No, I wrote a list. Look, and it even has right here. It has the Walmart joke because right at the top (laughs) of the show, I just wrote that down. I go, he sounds like a Walmart Will Arnett. Wait, like that's what happened to your comedy writer. You're like, wow, that's Walmart Will Arnett. I don't even know Will Arnett. 
Uh, Lego Batman. Oh, he voiced Batman in the in the video game too, right? In Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I knew that. Raph. <laughs> Gosh. So you talked a little bit about your jiu-jitsu background, like training at 10th Planet and stuff, but can you go a little bit more into that? Like what academy you originally started at, like kind of what your goals were when you first started training too and, and where you're at now? You said goals. If you, if you had goals. <laughs> I don't think I had any goal. You know, maybe the main goal was not be as fat is uh, a healthy <laughs> one. Um, what I can tell you is this. I always grew up when uh i was playing sports and you know everybody would like kind of grapple or be roughhousing and all that sort of stuff i was never good at it but i was durable so people always like kind of messing with me because they were like he's not he doesn't know what he's doing but whatever it is it works and uh lo and behold that became why i now have good defense or i can kind of reverse engineer things but, you know, you take that into college when I was interested in the science of it. And when you don't know the science or you don't have people around you who know it, you just do the best that you can. So in college, it was like me and my roommate who would uh, try and grapple and we try to learn stuff and we didn't know what we were doing. And I just kept saying, I think there's something to this. I think it's very fun. I think it could be something very interesting. But then I found out when I did start going to 10th Planet and start training in the Gi a little bit later was that a lot of it came from when I was watching pro wrestling as a kid. I always gravitated toward these technical wrestlers. I was never the guy who said, oh, man, Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. I like these technicians that could make you believe that even though they were 5'10", they were still doing incredibly athletic and smart things. And I said, oh. And then lo and behold, I figured out ways in jiu-jitsu to make that happen. So I realized that one of my weird gifts was, I would be like, oh, that's a crippler crossface. That's not an Oma Plata. Or, oh, if you do that 50-50, that's almost a sharpshooter, or this, or this. And then I kind of found my gimmicks to doing it. But training at 10th Planet was just, it was so great, man. Because it, it did give me a good foundation to starting to understand things. But when I saw people using the gi, I said, man, that just looks so cool. And I ended up going to, which is still my home gym. Uh, it's a place called Valley Martial Arts Center out here. We're a John Jock affiliate. And I just happened to gift myself into one of the better associations because John Jock has really good technique and a lot of his highest ranking generals in our our academy are really good and i'm talking the age spectrum all over the place where some of the guys who i was rolling with at the age of you know they're 50 and they're just tooling people and they're so technical and they're so good at what they do i just said you know what i feel like i did a service to that guy back in 2012 who took some time off and knew that he wanted to do both because I don't like just being a no-gi guy. I don't like just being a gi guy. I like to understand both of them because I feel like there are ways to complement that, especially when you're doing commentary or you do an interview with somebody. Because if I only did no-gi and I would try to interview somebody, I probably wouldn't have as great of an interview with, like, uh, a Levi uh, Jones, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell his story as well even though he's super good at everything that he does it's just there's that missing component of doing it 
And I feel like that's a cool little little thing to do. And, you know, lucking out when I was starting over at VMAC, they were they knew I was a host from day one. And I told them, I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to go to different gyms. I'm going to interact with people. I'm going to get invited places. And because I am the smart ass that makes fun of them, I also have a policy that says, you know, I have to be willing to go train with them if I'm making fun of them. And that's where I feel like the world's reverse. So sometimes they feel like, oh, now I can beat him up kind of a thing, yeah. uh, which is fine. I mean, it's it's completely to be expected. But I think that one of the natural advantages that you'll find as interviewers is that when you do train with the guys, you basically create a sense of trust on those mats. And so I've always told people, you know, trust me on the microphone like I would trust you on the mats. And I feel like that reciprocal nature creates a respect between myself and the athlete that makes it so that I can say jokes about them. It makes it so that if they lose, I go, well, great job. That yeah. was really bad. That's really what you messed did to up. Me in Boogie Worlds. <laughs> I, well, yeah, but I. But also, not that bad, but I went like, yeah, yeah, I lost. You're like, yeah, I saw that. So let's go do some work. <laughs> and then we went around and interviewed people at Nogi Worlds for Christmas. I was like, hey, Raph, yeah, I didn't do I didn't do too hot. I got submitted. He's like, yep, I saw that. Hey, so I have an idea. You want to go around? And <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Well, you know, you were already there and we had talked about doing something fun together. And I'm always of the approach of, you know, hey, we'll do this another time. And you had this look in your face that said, well, why don't we do it now? And I said, oh, well, OK, or now let's go now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, that comes into my policy as a person who has friends who compete a lot. And once you interview people, you have a Rolodex of friends that are always competing on any given day. And I tell them, I tell my inner circle the same thing, which is if you lose, I have a one day pity party for you. Like it's one day of, oh mm-hmm. man, that sucks. And if you don't get over it by day two, then I am no good to you because I just cannot work with somebody or, or be around that person who's going to wallow in that because you got to work towards that next thing. And if you get stuck in that moment, you are preventing the next thing from happening. So as harsh it is, it is to hear from an interviewer who's not at all caring about competing for his own good, then you need to understand that when that guy comes up to you and says, Hey, listen, did you get bad at jujitsu all of a sudden? Do you suck at this? Have you made poor choices or do you want to rise to the challenge? And on Monday, figure out how to problem solve it or become better by it because that's how a loss is going to make you better. Um, that's why I joke up to people and I joke with them. Like there's somebody who competed who won in overtime a pretty prominent person and they won. <laughs> but my response to them on Instagram was, nah. Mm-hmm. like <laughs> it was just my way of saying congratulations, but also, eh, you know, I've seen better. And I think even though they didn't like, I'm sure getting that note because everybody's on their nuts all the time and being like, you're so good. You're so good. It's like, dude, I'm the guy that messages you both when you win and lose. Yeah. So I think you want to hear from me more than always just inflating the ego because I'm also the guy that deflates the ego if I have to. So uh, I appreciate that person if they were doing that for me. Thank you. 
Yeah, um, I pretty much went through my list of questions that I have for you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's, I know it's a busy time for everyone being around the holidays and whatnot. So, Jake, did you have any more questions for F before we <clears throat> kind of wrapped up? You know, I have a, a lot of complaints, not, not a whole lot more <laughs> questions. Um, I do want to say that in spite of your uh, apparent distaste of the fact that we did not have you on for a while, uh, it has been in my absolute pleasure. We definitely want to like, I want to make, hmm, I, we have like cool ideas too of stuff we want to do. We want to start doing like t- uh, like short interview clips of different athletes and stuff like that that we can try to bump up our Instagram and our YouTube as well. But uh, I want to have you back on for different, like we, uh, we have this show, we have this thing called Zooming In and that is, co- I'm going to go through the process of patenting that and copywriting it. Because that is such a genius name. I literally, my brain swelled when I did that, when I came up with that name, uh, where we, we go over different fights and stuff like that. And uh, it was a super fun idea that I want to bring you on for because I feel like you could make it uh, – you, you would be a very fun person to have on that segment. But, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you because, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, uh, just being around you. I remember when we first – it was after Nogi Worlds. We went out and we watched uh, – who was it? it? It was some big fight in the UFC. I forget exactly which fight it was. We watched it. It at, was an uh, Usman fight, if I remember correctly. I think it was. It was, was it Usman, Usman versus Covington. Covington. I remember. Yeah. I remember uh, your look of giddy when uh, when Usman uh, <laughs> broke his jaw. You were like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> Me and rap. It was just funny. And seeing the final crushing jaw blow was just so hard to watch. But uh, yeah, no, that was awesome. And uh, ever since you know we we took this venture, you've been a great help. And uh, if you, you can ask John, I, I sing your praises. Right. Oh, well, uh, you can ask me right now, pal. How have you been? No, it's uh, good to see you, bud. Uh, you, you look good. You, you're, you're doing a lot of a lot of shows, man. That sounds really great. I, I've listened to maybe like two and a half, but uh, man, they're, they're so good. Dear Lord, Kenny, it really is. Like, I remember uh, told John about that, about that impression. I was like, man, have you heard his impression? And John just is like, yeah, I've heard the impression. And it, like, it's just so it's so it sounds so much like him. That like I so, almost want to get an impression, and then we can just do an episode of Verbal Tab. Just it's just John talking to John. Here's what happened. Uh, <laughs> so John was my instructor at VMAC for about a good two, three years or so. John's also the only reason I'm not garbage at jujitsu. BT dubs. Like anytime somebody says, "Wow, I didn't expect you to be," mm, you know, like I thought you were gonna be really bad. You're like regular bad, and I go, "Thank you." <laughs> I say you can attribute that to John Evans. And uh, so John would always teach. And because I watch people and the minute I see them perform or or platform, I always think, oh, I know their speech pattern. I know what they do here. And so John would have these speech patterns that I would just think are so funny. And he's a broadcaster and, you know, he's somebody that I would tell him like, hey, man, when my kids didn't know how to perform and they'd get lost in speech – and that I would try to explain it. You'd try to explain it, explain it, explain it. If the explaining didn't work, then you would ultimately go to your impression of them to show them. But you would do that as the last resort. So when I tell John, I was like, hey, man, just as a performer, I would give you these notes on the way that you speak on air. And John would kind of get it and they wouldn't get it and they wouldn't get it. And then I'd be like, or this is kind of how you talk when you uh, – well, you kind of forget where you were. And he just goes – is that your impression of me? And I go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> since then, uh, we've done it where we've done commentary gigs together. 
and John will notoriously have to leave because he's so weak he has to take a bathroom break or eat. And I've actually done commentary as if John was still there. Wow. Doing that's the impression so funny. of him. But the the detail that I would add to it is that I would still do the play-by-play and have John do the color. So I would be setting it up and throwing it to myself and say, man, he we're seeing a really nice pass over to the left-hand side. John, can you tell us a little bit more about passing over to the left? Well, of course, a lot of people don't actually, when they are passing Raph, it's, it's very difficult to get to that really good side. Yeah, John, I noticed that too. Is that something that you do a lot in uh, your own training? Oh, most definitely. And then I always like to go to a footlock here. You can hit a good 50-50 from here. John comes back in and is like, oh, how'd it go, bud? I was like, you were great. <laughs> you were great. You crushed it. Oh my god. That's so that's really funny. And I uh I can't I I want to like I want to see that so bad. I want to see John's reaction to it cuz it's just it, it bog it baffles me. Like it literally sounds just like him. It's gotten better in terms of how he processes it. But at the very beginning, he refused to acknowledge it. You can go back in all of our history. He's been on our show a million times. But at the very beginning, he wasn't super receptive to it. He was kind of fighting it. And then everybody kept laughing around him that I think he got the signal that it's probably pretty good. So, uh, you know, now he just kind of plays into it. Now it took years for him to kind of acknowledge, like, that's eh, all right. Um, so now <laughs> we uh, we have some fun with it. And every, now he'll actually lean more into it, almost like when Jimmy Fallon's doing Seinfeld to Seinfeld, where Seinfeld doesn't talk that high. But when Jimmy Fallon's doing the impression of like, oh, what you and then all of a sudden Seinfeld's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's almost that John's doing that with me now because he knows it's funnier. And I, I think that's part of the reason why uh, he and I get along so well is because when we do commentary together, I know that we can do the job that's asked of us really well. Uh-huh. But I always know that we do the thing that makes us unique to just us better than most people, because you can tell we're friends. You can tell that I respect him. Um, you might pick up that he's taught me things over the years, but more than anything, it's just two people who I would hope bring a classic presentation that sounds different than most other people who do it at surface level. Cause that is the unfortunate part of our sport is most people. If you look at our jujitsu commentary, very surface level commentary and there's no depth. There's no heart. There's no story to it. It's just all play by play. And a lot of the times it's two people arguing which play by play sounds better. And to me, that always undervalues the actual art that you're seeing in front of you. So for better or worse, you know, you can like what I do or not, but you know, when I'm doing it with my friends and and people I work with like John, I feel like we do a solid presentation and I feel very proud of the stuff that we do. It's awesome. Well, we're definitely fans and we, uh, we want, uh, you to have this opportunity to like, is there anywhere people can follow you anywhere people can, um, people who have been living under a rock and don't know about verbal tap cast already. Look at you with your <laughs> smug smile. Like, no, I'm just, you know, here's the dumb part. You spend all this time talking about me on my other shows that you're like, 
well, Raph, where can people go find you? And I go, I've been talking about myself this whole time. <laughs> so yeah, I gotta, I'll show you how it's done in a second, but I like that. You're just, you're deflating your own self on the cell at the very end. You're just like, well, if people want to go listen to them, I guess they can. So no, my facial expressions are appropriately hiding the get on with it, Jake. That, okay, fine. You know what? Ladies and gentlemen, you can follow Rafa Sparza at Verbal Tabcast, at Early Late Night, at The Grappling Hour, or just at Grappling Hour. He has a Twitter, too. Go to all of his Twitters. Go to his Instagrams. Go to his Facebooks. Also, you can follow his uh, co-host, Kevin, uh, but he doesn't really use social media, so... No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so go follow him on all of Raph's stuff. And uh, <laughs> also, they stream on a bunch of different streaming platforms, uh, they also have a Twitch channel, which they use uh, in conjunction with their uh, – it's called uh, StreamYard. And they use uh, – they do these fight commentaries that uh, I was formerly a part of uh, that I really want to uh, go back on. And they do a great job doing uh, fight companions with different UFC events and the Submission Underground events. So if you ever get tired of uh, whoever's commentating that day – I don't really get tired of Uncle Chael, but I really love my boys. So I watch them and I listen to them while I'm watching the uh, Submission Underground stuff. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a bunch of really funny people. They got star Lord, uh, Jordan Peitzman, who is apparently, uh, our most favoritist podcast host guest, <laughs> according to Raph Esparza. Um, but yeah, go follow him on all of those platforms. Uh, what, what episode are you on right now of verbal tap? We just finished 440. 440. So they're yeah. on an even number right now. Yeah. Be sure to go follow them guys. Uh, <laughs> It's it's not like one piece. We promise you guys will be able to go through all the all the episodes, and it's uh, very easy to get through because they're they're great. So can I just that point better? this out right yeah. now? Can I point this out, and you'll understand why in maybe twenty seconds here. You know when I say, always find a different way to approach how you do the thing. Yeah, I didn't have to plug myself there. I made you do it. So <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I made you do it. I just listen, you did a okay enough job where I think most people can kind of know where they can find me. And if they don't, then here's the the save all. You can find me at Grappling Hour, at Verbal Tapcast, at Early Late Night, all those things. Very different programs on each of them. You can also go check out my work over on my Twitter. We're on literally all of the social medias. You can also check out our work at rafasparza.com or thegrapplinghour.com. Anywhere you want to go, it's pretty easy to find me. More importantly, I also want to plug this at the very end if people actually made it to the end. I can't promise you they always do. But if you did stay to the end, here's the big announcement I'll tell you guys. I have been working secretly on a project for the past like six months or so, um, talking about training during COVID. Uh, our very esteemed friend over here, Jake Watson, actually appears on one of those interviews, and uh, we've been shortening them and uh, working to edit it. So I don't know exactly what it comes out, but I can tell you this. If you are somebody who has not trained a ton because of COVID and you felt certain ways about it, I have good news for you. You aren't alone. There are a lot of people who feel very similarly, and I think it is a cathartic experience to hear at least part of these interviews. So we're doing it as a Grappling Hour mixtape, and uh, TBA, I think there may be some fun things that you'll see from me in the future on that, but that has been my way of trying to cope with not training as much, because I also have not been training as much, because I'm not a professional athlete. But I love the sport just as much as I'm sure anybody who's listening and you guys on this show as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. that. That's coming out, you know, whenever I get my shit together. 
and that's how you do it. Now we got now you know what? I'm going to take uh, speech classes and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to I want to make the I want to I want to I want to get better, Raf. But I sound like an alcoholic, right? I want to get better. <laughs> I didn't know that you guys booked me on and that by the end of it we we're going to do an intervention for Jake. Like yeah, I right? thought it was just going to be talk about your experience, Raf. Okay, cool. Jake, when you podcast, it makes me feel Bad. Like you might have an addiction to hard narcotics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Danny, if uh, you got nothing else to add, then before people find out that I'm uh, horribly addicted to something or other, so let's end it here. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is episode 67. It's our last episode of 2020. We wanted to save a very special guest for our last episode of the year. It's almost our one-year anniversary, too. So we wanted to save this episode for Raph. So thanks again, Raph, for coming on. Couldn't bring me on the one-year anniversary one? You couldn't put me on that? <laughs> oh, my god. You know, get somebody else better for that one? End of 2020. Last episode of 2020. Almost yeah. one year. It's, it's a pretty good title. I guess I'll take that. That <laughs> wasn't exactly what? how you guys pitched it to me. I'm just saying. Episode, okay, one-year anniversary episode. Call John. We're getting you and John on. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm not available, though. I'll have to look at it. <laughs> we'll get you on three times before our one-year anniversary, so then that list is obsolete. All right. Now we're talking here, gents. I got a lot of stuff to plug and a lot of stuff to talk about. But, no, I, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll, we'll see you guys next week.